Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading with verse, verse 1. Now, I'm, I'm teaching on the subject transfigured tonight, but it has absolutely nothing to do with my book. You can't imagine that. 200 and something pages, and what I'm going to teach tonight is not in the book. Um, so just for those of you, I read the book, all five of you, and that have read it, and just kind of, well, I don't have to listen tonight. Uh, this is something a little different. Matthew chapter 17 and 1, and after six days... Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brethren, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them I know good and well I turned those units off. If somebody could pass the word. I don't know why they're on. Maybe the ushers, something's wrong with my app or something. If somebody could turn those off, I would appreciate it. Um, his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. He was transfigured and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And if thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also shall the Son of Man suffer of them. Everybody say transfigured. Now, I, I want to go into the the larger meaning of transfigured, it, it is the Greek word metamorpho, and it is, of course, where we get the word 
metamorphosis, but I want you to listen carefully to all of the, the words and the examples and the illustrations that are given here in Strong's and Thayer's to grasp the full meaning of what it means to be transfigured. It is denoting a change of place or condition. A change of place or condition or to form, to transform, to transfigure, to change one's form, to change one's form. In the New Testament, it means to be transfigured. It is used of the Lord's transfiguration on the mount, Mount Tabor, they say most uh, theologians believe it happened on Mount Tabor. Some believe it was Mount Hermon. And it was involving the miracle of transformation. This type transformation is not fabricated change. It is not religious change. It is not following code book change. It is the miracle of change. And it is the miracle of transformation. From an earthly form into a supernatural form. It is the miracle of transformation. And a miracle is something that only God can do. So it is the miracle of transformation from an earthly form into a supernatural form which was externally denoted by the radiance of his garments and countenance. This suggests that the bodies of the righteous may be like as a result of the resurrection of our bodies. The idea of transformation refers to an invisible process in Christians which takes place or begins to take place during their life in this age. It is a, the miracle or the idea of transformation that happens invisibly. It is an invisible process that becomes visible on the exterior. And it happens during this age that we live in. And it culminates in the next age. It means to change one's outward form, to turn from something or the external condition or fashion, to change fashion, to change fashion, to change one thing for another thing or to exchange. And so, in other words, once this process is in motion, you cannot keep both forms. They don't coexist together. You, you are changing. You cannot be a caterpillar and a butterfly at the same time. You have to choose which one you're going to be. And, of course, this is the perfect example because a caterpillar is earthly. He is bound to the earth. But a butterfly is bound to the air. He, of course, can touch the earth, but he flies. And it is 
indicative of something spiritual, celestial, something spiritual that happens in the life of a person. Now, when we look at the transfiguration of Jesus, we know that a bright cloud overshadowed them, but his raiment was not white as the light because of the bright cloud that overshadowed him. His raiment was white as the light before the cloud overshadowed him because the light came from the inside, not from the outside. It was not something that shined on him or around him. It was something that was coming out of him. It was the light that was coming out of him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That was not something that he possessed. It was something that was inside of him. And yes, he possessed it on the inside of him. My nose is itching. Somebody's talking about me. But, but yes, he did. He, it was on the inside of him. Yes, he, he possessed it in, the, in that respect. But it was not of the flesh. It was coming out of the spirit that was on the inside of him. His flesh was not the light. The light was on the inside of him. The light, then it would seem, shone not upon him from without, but out of him from within. And he was radiating. There was this blaze of celestial glory that began to shine out of him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now that is in contrast to what would lie ahead of Jesus who would become a man whose visage was marred more than any man. And the illustration here is that you can destroy the exterior and you can mar the exterior, but the intention of God is to release the light and the brilliance and the glory from within. Now this this revelation that was seen by Peter, James, and John on the mount was written of in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they all tell a very similar story. There's not a whole lot of details that are different. When you look at the three stories, they're almost identical. There's a few words that are different, but they are almost Identical, And we don't seem to see the transfiguration recorded in the Gospel of John. But in fact, in my opinion, the entire Gospel of John is written from the form of not a baby in a manger or a teacher from Galilee or a prophet from Nazareth, but it is written from the revelation that John received on the Mount of Transfiguration where he talks about the deity of Christ. John establishes to us that he was not just a prophet from Nazareth, that he was not just the anointed one, and that he was not just a master or a teacher or a miracle worker or the great physician but that he indeed was God manifest in the flesh. 
I believe it was this very moment, the Mount of Transfiguration, where John received this revelation. It was before Matthew chapter 17. If you go back into the middle of chapter 16, Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? They said, well, some say that thou art Elias. Some say that thou art John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And he says, well, whom say ye that I am? It was Peter, not John, that said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And though that revelation was given to Peter there or before sometime, and some of the other disciples may have had that revelation, I believed that in the very next chapter was where John received the revelation of who Jesus was. This is him of whom we have heard of that the prophets have prophesied about. This is the one of whom they said the government shall be upon his shoulders. And they talked about his name being wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. John received this revelation. Now, we just kind of breeze through John chapter 1, but when we get to chapter, uh, uh, verse 14 of chapter 1, you know this verse. John said, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It tabernacled among us. Now remember, they said on the top of the mountain there, I believe it was Peter, that said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And they heard Moses and Elijah talking with him. And what they heard, it says in one gospel, is that they were telling Jesus about what he must suffer. They were having the conversation with him that this is going to happen. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be beyond your comprehension to comprehend as a fleshly human being this suffering that you're going to endure. And Peter, James, and John were there, I believe, to help them to understand that regardless of what you see ahead of this man, and the suffering that you see him go through, don't you ever forget what you are seeing here on the top of this mountain because the brilliance of the light of his glory that is shining forth, I want you to understand that they are going to kill this man, but they cannot kill what's inside of the man because he is the light of the world. And so John said, the word became flesh and dwelt. It tabernacled among us. Because wherever you see glory, you understand. They understood in their terms and their language that glory is synonymous with tabernacling. And some even say that this could have taken place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Where people, the children of Israel, were leaving their permanent dwellings and going out into the wilderness and, and they were dwelling in booths and in tabernacles in tents to remember the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness and to remember that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And he said, 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there's a parenthesis there. There is a parenthetical expression, almost as if John said, oh, and by the way, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw it there on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw Moses and Elijah talking with him. And so therefore, this very event is recorded in all four Gospels. I think there was something that God really wanted us to understand about that. The Bible, the Bible tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Now this is 40 years after the transfiguration. The apostle Peter writes, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's not talking about miracles. He's not... He's not talking about the woman with the issue of blood that pressed through the cloud. He, he was not talking about Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was talking about his majesty. That's kingship. We beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's talking about the mount of transfiguration. Now, people that don't understand holiness have never encountered holiness. And people that don't understand what it means to be glorified by God have never had an encounter, a real encounter with the glory. Now, I want you to think about this. They had been with Jesus for 16 chapters recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know how long that was in times or in time frame as far as months or years, but 16 chapters is a pretty long time. They had seen an extensive amount of the ministry of Jesus Christ, but they were still questioning even as recent as the chapter before when he said, whom do you say that I am? It was only Peter that answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But the revelation that Peter had, and Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father in heaven, the spirit of the Lord revealed it unto you. And that revelation they had in Matthew chapter 16 was not even compared to the revelation that Jesus gave them in Matthew chapter 17 and Elijah and Moses, their representation of the apostles or the prophets or the prophetic ministry and the law. Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. And here was Jesus, the chief cornerstone about to become the foundation of the church of the living God. If you don't understand holiness, it's because you're still trying to figure out who Jesus really is. It's because you've never had a real encounter with holiness. People that have never really encountered the real glory of God will always question the glory of God. It looks to them like something unnecessary. 
something. Are you here tonight? It looks like something that, that is not really a big deal. It's peculiar. It's strange to look at. That's not for me. That's for other people. That's not really for me. But when you, when you have a genuine revelation of Jesus, when Jesus opens up a part of the veil and allows you to peer into the power and the light and the, and the anointing and the glory that was radiating from him, you see him more than, than as a broken man on a cross whose visage was marred more than any man. You see him as more than the lamb. You see him as the resurrected Savior, the only one that ever got up out of the grave by himself. And it was the spirit that was in him that raised him from the dead. It was the spirit that was in him. Stay with me. It was the spirit that was in him that raised him from the dead. I want you to get that. The man, the flesh, did not raise himself up from the dead. It was the spirit that raised him up from the dead. The same spirit that he gave up on the cross when he gave up the ghost and said, it is finished. That same spirit revisited him Three days later, and rose him, raised him up from the dead. Now, this is what Paul said. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit of God that dwelleth in you. So... We establish the fact then that the spirit that was in Christ is the same spirit that when you're filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues because this is a spiritual miraculous transfiguration. It is not a religious transfiguration. It's not a profession of faith transfiguration. It is a spiritual, supernatural, miraculous event. When that spirit dwells on the inside of you, you become the light of the world. And if you're the light of the world, why would you want to disguise and dim the light with the darkness of the things of this world? Holiness and separation is not something that we have the freedom to nitpick. Well, I don't agree with that. That's your prerogative. But it's not right. You also have the right to go to hell. You also have the right to be lost. You, you have the right to be cut off from God when you overextend his grace because you want to have your way so much in your life that God can't have his way. Are you listening to me tonight? And I'm going to say it again. People that have a problem with holiness have never really encountered holiness. When I look at people in the scripture that have encountered the glory of God, in Revelation, when they saw him, they took their crowns and they flung them. They said, we're not worthy. He's the only one that is worthy. When Isaiah saw him, he said, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a 
man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When people encountered angelic theophanies in Scripture, many of them was God manifesting himself as an angel, the angel of his presence. They would fall on their face as dead before him. They could not look upon him. And when Moses requested to see his glory, he said, no one has seen my glory and lived. Now, that was before the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, though I am not certain that we can look into the face of God, that may be reserved for the next world, but what I can tell you is there is a measure of God's glory that is revealed upon humanity because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the veil has been rent in twain and what those disciples saw on the mount that day and late into the night because the Bible said they didn't come down from the mount until the next day. They spent all night up there and I don't know how long that went on but when they came down, they were not the same. They did not see Jesus the same. They didn't have to ask anymore, is he the Messiah or not because they saw what was on the inside of him. Holiness has everything to do with revealing what is on the inside of us and not what is on the outside of us. We cover up the exterior so that the interior, what is on the inside, the light of his power and his glory and his honor and his excellence can be seen. To a lost and dying world. Clap your hands if you believe that here tonight. Yeah. And so Romans chapter 12 has a whole different meaning when you, when you read it in the context of the transfiguration. I firmly believe that the transfiguration was not just for them. It was for Jesus. And they're telling him about the suffering that he must endure. But in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, listen, it don't matter if you've got this verse memorized, I want you to see it tonight in the context of the transfiguration that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I'm going to let you live, but I'm going to ask you to give up your life. I'm going to leave breath in your body because I need you to do a work for me, but I need you to present your bodies, to present your bodies, your bodies, your physical being. That means the tabernacle, the spirit of the Lord dwelling among men, the physical being, I need you to present that before me as a living sacrifice. That means you lose your right to have a say-so in your life at that point. That means you lose your right to carry out your own agenda, to do what you want to do. To live how you want to live. To look how you want to look. To use words that you want to use. To dress the way that you want to dress. You lose the right to do that 
when you make your life a sacrifice before him. Are you hearing me here tonight? I'm not just talking about the transfiguration of Jesus. I'm talking about your transfiguration. And he said, when you present your bodies a living sacrifice, I want you to do it holy, acceptable unto me, which is your reasonable service, which means it's not even close to being too much to ask. You're a peculiar treasure. You're a chosen generation. You're a chosen priesthood. You're peculiar you're not meant to blend in. Transfigured people don't blend in. If they'd have had the whole city upon that mountain, the whole city would have been in awe. They were so tongue-tied that one of the gospels in one of the translations said, and because Peter did not know what else to say, he said, should we build three tabernacles for you? They were dumbfounded. They were Speechless, because when you have an encounter with the real glory of God, the only thing that you want to do is understand it and have a revelation of it and be like it and be in the company of it. If you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, no wonder you have a problem with holiness. Can you say amen? Now, verse 2, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The word is metamorpho, the same Greek word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. Are you listening? We're beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We don't see the fullness of it. But we see as much as he will reveal and we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now in the Living Bible, the same verse, I'm going to read four translations here. It says, but we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. In the New Living Translation, it says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And then in the Amplified, it says, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor. And from one degree of glory to another, 
For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, if you are arguing with God and debating with God and nitpicking the Word of God, it's going to be real tough for you to be completely transfigured into His image. We want to impress people. We want to look good. We want to look perfect. We don't want any blemishes in our life. And we are so concerned with the exterior. Some are. We are so concerned with the exterior about our image, about what people think about us, about our reputation, about what people say about us. And God cares nothing about your reputation. And he cares nothing about your image. Your image was marred. You were made in the image of God, but sin marred that image. And, and sin, the things of this world, cause us to bring things into our life that are vain. They are only pampering the flesh. They only are concerned with the image of the flesh. But when you have this moment with God... When you go through, when you submit yourself to this transfiguration process and God starts cutting things loose from your life. Are you here tonight? God starts cutting things loose from your life. The revelation of God's glory in you is this. Yes, you're going to have to take up your own cross and follow me. Yes, there's going to be some valleys that you're going to have to walk through. Yes, people will crucify you from time to time. Yes, people will persecute you. Yes, you will fall, you will fall into a pit from time to time. And your flesh will be crucified. But that is because the light of the glory of God that is on the inside is trying to be revealed. And when you get a revelation of the light on the inside, it doesn't matter what kind of suffering you have to look forward to. You don't have to go through what Jesus went through. He's not asked you to resist by blood, but the things that we have to go through pale in comparison. It doesn't matter if your visage is marred more than any man because when you get a revelation of the glory of God and the process of transfiguration, he's taken you through. The suffering doesn't matter. Mm. Somebody shout amen. amen. So this, this whole scene, this whole scene was designed to show to the eyes as well as the heart how glorious that death is in the view of heaven. Now, I don't know if you've made up in your mind to quit living for this world or not. But that's our job standing right here behind this desk. Is to preach to you every week. And get a little, little bit more of the earthly things off of us. The word so that the glory of God can be revealed. I'm not living for this world. I am living for another world. And the Bible said there's going to come a time when this mortal will have put on immortality. And he said at that time, it'll be said, death, where is thy sting? 
O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. He talks about the mortal man is nothing. It is not important. It is just the tabernacle of the power of God on the inside of you. And when we get to the place where the flesh and the things of this world mean less to us, the power of God's glory can be revealed People may look at you as a weirdo, but don't you ever hang your head for going through the process of transfiguration and transformation that God is taking us through. People have asked me, people have asked me, I'm going to say some things right now that are a little controversial, though not in my notes and and, I, and I'm not saying them as, as law, but, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put some things here for you to chew on. I think when we really, really see, when time here is no more, and we step from time into eternity, I, I, I think we're going to be just totally, I know this is a little bit of an understatement, I think we're just going to be totally shocked at the things we thought we understood. And people have asked me before, well, what, you know, what, what are we going to be like? What are we going to be like? I mean, are we going to be like human beings? And I've, I've, you know, I've been told by great theologians that the glorified body, your glorified body is flesh and bone. No blood, but flesh and bone. We're going to look like whatever, but, and that's fine if we are. I mean, it, I'm going to be walking through walls anyway. Walls ain't going to be a big deal. I'm here one minute. I'm on Mars in the next second. And, and I'm over here and, you know, two galaxies over doing something the next second. I know that eternity will be like that. But the Bible said that we will be as the angels. He said there's a body terrestrial and there's a body celestial. The body terrestrial is not like the body celestial. Now, we are in the terrestrial body right now. But flesh, flesh is, for, it's a tabernacle. That's all it is. It's a tent. There's no value in the tent. The, the, the body, the human flesh, the tent, the tabernacle has no more use in eternity. So what will be revealed is what is on the inside of us. We, we, we're looking in the book of Revelation and we're, we're seeing all this stuff. You know, people, I, I get tickled sometimes. I, I'm not on social media anymore, but when I was, I'd, I'd, I'd see some uh, crackerjack eschatological theologian on there trying to explain the dragon and the beast and this and whatever, and they're talking about these leviathans that are going to be coming out of the sea and all that kind of, It's not literal. It's not literal. It's not literal. And I don't believe there's going to be a chair sitting in heaven as a throne. I don't believe that. The Bible said heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He said if the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, how much more this house that I have built. That's what, that's what Solomon said. I think we have to have a bigger view of God. I, I think it is far more mind-blowing than we make it out to be. And we are, well, I might preach right now. We are straining at some of the most minuscule 
small, insignificant fragments of things that will never measure up to anything. It will not even be as important as one cell in your body in eternity. It's not going to matter. This world that we're confined to is nothing more but a quest to understand him so that Christ can be revealed in us. It is a time of the separation of the sheep and the goats. I don't plan on being on the wrong side of that thing. We got all that stuff. You'd be seated for just a minute. I'm, I'm stirred up now. I'm, try, I'm trying to heighten somebody's vision. John, John saw in Revelation four or five times. He saw the throne four or five times. One time he said, I heard the voice of a lamb and I turn, or a lion, and he said, I turned and I saw a lamb as it had been slain. You're telling me. That Jesus is sitting on a chair in heaven with holes in his hand and his feet. Well, that's the way he was when he came out of the tomb. That's right because he had not ascended and put on the celestial body. And by the way, when the flesh is gone, what's left? Spirit. What spirit was in him? The spirit of God that you can't contain. Yeah, he's our eternal mediator. That blood that he shed on Calvary is forever settled. It cannot be changed by hell. It is because of that blood that the Father looks and sees the sacrifice of that lamb and says, I have to extend grace rather than judgment. He looks another time and he said, I saw a seven golden candlestick. I saw a seven branch candlestick. And in the midst of the candlestick was one likened to the Son of God. That's what he saw. It was a vision. He was on the Isle of Patmos. It was a vision. God was trying to give John a revelation to give to the rest of the world to understand that in Christ was the seven spirits of God and that he was the lamb and that he was the son of God and that he will be the light of heaven and that there is no shadow of turning in him. But you can't have that kind of revelation as long as you got Jesus up on a cross. You gotta take him down, he's risen. And you gotta go back to a man of transfiguration and see what was on the inside of him. Oh, somebody praise him right now. Come on. He turns another time and he looks at the throne and he sees, he sees four, four beasts four beast around the throne. One looked like the, it had the face of a man. One was an ox. One was an eagle. Help me. What was the fourth one? Lion. He was the lion of the tribe. There's the four natures of Christ enthroned. He's been given a name that's above every name. This is the evidence that Jesus is God. He's enthroned. He has all power in heaven and earth. 
That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that because he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the son of man that came for the sins of the world and died on the cross. The oxen was the sacrifice. He laid his life down for the sheep. The eagle is the spiritual nature of Christ. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Come on. Those revelations, that, that revelation that John had, it was not an apocalyptic revelation. It was the revelation of Jesus Christ. You got to take him off of the crucifix. You got to take him out of the little fish symbol on the back of the car. You got to take him out of the Christianity symbol. And you got to let him be the God of the universe uh, that he is. Uh, On that mountain, uh, God was saying, uh, I need you to look on the inside uh, of the sun. It's the brilliance of my power and the brilliance of my glory. And it's in him uh, and it'll be in you. You're the light of the world. But it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Stay standing. It's not going to happen if you're constantly trying to impede that process of transfiguration. With kindergarten Christianity. I don't know if that's necessary. That's because you hadn't encountered the glory That's because you hadn't seen what Isaiah saw. Because if you had, you'd be saying, woe is me. Hmm. I feel the power of God in this place right now. Now, Father, I'm praying that you would open the eyes of people in this place. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. Let the scales fall from our eyes here tonight. And let the dullness of our hearing, let the dullness of our hearing, God, be healed. We don't want to have a heart that can't understand. We don't want to be dull of hearing and blind spiritually. I'm praying, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would release revelation in this place. In the name of the Lord, I I would that somebody would lift their voice here tonight. Oh, I would that somebody would cry out to him and say, Lord, take me to the mountain. Take me to the mountain, Lord. I need a revelation of you. I need the glory of God to be revealed in me. In the mighty name of Jesus, almighty God. To anybody that needs to leave, you can leave. But to anybody that would like to stay for just a few minutes, I would invite you to just cry out to him. And say, Lord God, I need you to help me to understand. I need you to help me to get help get you out of this little box I put you in. This, this is not a religious transformation. This is a miraculous transformation. It can only come from God. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody pray. Somebody pray. If you're going to stay, I'd like for you to pray. I'm just 
I'm requesting that you pray. I'm asking you to call out to him. God wants to do something so powerful in your life. Lord, I need a revelation of you so that you can give me a revelation of me and the Christ in me, which is the hope of glory. In the name of Jesus, almighty God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, hallelujah. Jesus in your name, Father. Oh, come on, somebody. I want you to call out to the Lord. I pray for the minds of people in this place. I pray for the minds of people. God, we struggle with things on a daily basis that mean nothing. They don't amount to anything. They're minuscule. They're minor. They're nothing. They, they have no value. They have no worth. Uh, we struggle with it every day, God, because we're locked in the finite nature of our own mind. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would open our eyes and help us, Lord God, to, to let you be the God of the universe that you are. Oh, hallelujah. He hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Jesus, hallelujah. Oh, satabakata bosea. Oh, satabakata bohojata. Somebody's going to cross over a threshold here tonight. The transfiguration came before the suffering. The transfiguration was the revelation that the flesh means nothing. The flesh is disposable. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's time to let what's on the inside of you out. Let it breathe, let it shine. Let the glory of God, let the power of God move. In Jesus' name, Father, we need you. Come to the Bosiki ete and the Bosea.